You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Grab your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. jumped around a little bit last week. Actually, the last few weeks, we were in chapter 3, chapter 10, chapter 13, as we talked about what it means initially to have shepherds in our lives, the shepherds in a close-knit small group, the shepherds of pastors and elders of the church, and then ultimately the, the one good shepherd, Christ himself. And so now, as we move on from that into 4, we're going to look at this idea of rest this idea of rest. So basically, uh, chapter 1 through 3 is the idea of understanding who God is, who Jesus Christ was, that he is greater than all other uh, beings, period, right? Angels, Moses, um, any leaders, any prophets. And then it gets into this idea in chapter 2 to be careful lest you drift away from the truth. To be careful. And then, through 2 and 3, he tells us how do we be careful. We be careful by putting safeguards in our life, by putting uh, discipline and checkpoints and shepherds, right? And so that leads us all the way through chapter 3. And now in chapter 4, he's going to talk about something that Christ gives called rest. Who could not use some rest right now, right? Rest from politics, rest from ads, Rest from the heat. We hit 97 this week. That is unfair. You know, I have lived here my whole life. When are we going to break records for the lows? I am waiting for that, right? Those are all like 1929. No, I want to see a broken record for the lows for an extended period of time. I'm done with 100 degrees. I would love rest. I would love rest. So we're going to be talking about rest because this is what the author of Hebrews talks about. And in a different way, maybe than talking about, you know, taking the Sabbath, I want you to see and understand the rest that Christ is talking about and the transformation it takes in our lives. So Hebrews chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1 and go to 11. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. Who did? Who did? Who? Israel, right? Yes. Gold star. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard, it was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed... We enter into that rest. Just as God had said, so I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day. And he spoke these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, 
And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them and did not go in because of their disobedience, what situation are we talking about here? It's a certain situation in the Old Testament. It, it's with a man's name that rhymes with hoses. Moses. What is the situation in which they did not enter the rest? Promised land, right? The first generation, they're whining, they're complaining, they're grumbling. They just walked in circles. Okay, I'm just making sure we're all on the same page here as we see what the author of Hebrews is going back to the Old Testament. For they did not go because of their disobedience. God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage that I already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I'm going to read that again because that may be the most prominent passage I'll read this morning. Today, when? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. You see, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. A finishing rest for the people of God. He's not talking about the Sabbath in which he gave in the commandments here. I want you to see that. What the author is saying is for those who are God's children, there will be a Sabbath rest, just like when Christ on the seventh day, or God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, on the seventh day rested from his work of creation. He Sabbathed, and it's saying there will come a time for God's children who will rest, as it says, uh, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Is right now a time to rest from your works because you're a Christian? I gave my life to the Lord, so I quit my job. Why? Well, have you read Hebrews? It clearly says that when I come into the Lord's presence, I will rest from my works, just as God did. When you create a solar system and an earth, you may rest from your works. Until then, go back to work. That's the message this morning. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of the Israelites in the wilderness in their disobedience. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray. Let's ask God for wisdom. Let's ask him how we apply it to our lives. And uh, may we have ears to hear, eyes to see. God, as we go through this morning, Lord, let us see exactly how these words apply Lord, your, your word is living, sharper than any two-edged sword, the next verse says. So, Lord, allow it to cut into our lives, cut out the cancer, cut out the sickness that still remains, that we may enter this rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Entering the rest of the Lord. I thought a lot about how to present this because we've talked on Sabbath rest. We've talked about and argued about when is the Sabbath, right? Do you Sabbath on the seventh day as the Jews did? Is the Sabbath still valid for a Christian believer? Do we still have to Sabbath the way they were required to Sabbath in the Old Testament? Didn't Christ come and fulfill that Sabbath and now Christ is our rest, right? We are to rest in Christ. And so do we really need to take a Sabbath? And this conversation goes on and on and on and even today continues to be debated and argued amongst Christians as to whether we should take one day a week and rest. 
tell me, in your heart of hearts, let's throw away money, let's throw away finishing projects, kids' schedules. If you were given the option to rest one day of a week or not rest at all, which one would you choose? Rest. rest. Amen. Amen, life point. Well done. We would rest. We would rest. Has anybody ever worked those shifts where you don't have a break for weeks? Every day you go into work, there's no day off. On your day off, you got called in. Anybody done that? Tell me by like day 13, 14, you feel like a zombie. I don't care if you've slept. You just, you're doing the same thing. You're going in and it just feels, you feel dead. You feel numb. Why is it God told his people to give the land rest every seven years? Because when you give the land rest, it produces better crops. If you continue to tax it year after year after year and you skip that time, it begins to weaken the nutrients in the ground and lessen the crops. So what happened when the Israelites went 490 years without giving the land rest? God said, it's okay. I'll give the land rest. Here, you go into exile for a while because the land needs rest. And how long were they in exile for? This one? The 70. 70 years. What's seven times 70? Anyone? 490. For every year the Israelites missed, God gave the land rest. If you do not praise my name, the rocks will cry out. Why then? Do we fight rest? Why do we fight it? Why even on our days off do we fill them with things to do? You ever thought about that? My wife's favorite thing to do on her day off is to not get out of her pajamas and to watch movies all day and put these mask things on her face that scare me when I walk into the room. And that's her favorite thing, all day. And to me, that feels like you wasted a day off. You could have been riding bikes outside or fixing things or swimming or exploring. Anything but that. See, my wife knows how to rest. She knows how to just allow her body and her mind to rest. But most of us in America here, it's seen as a weakness to take a day off. Right? We've seen that with Thanksgiving over the last few years, haven't we? They just kept pushing it closer and closer and closer until they said, ah, why close down for a day? Keep it open. We'll shut down for one hour so our people can go home and eat, and then they have to get right back here to serve you. We do not value rest, and yet God is very, very adamant that we need it. We need his rest. It's, it's uh, I, ironic that in a week I'm talking on rest. The last three nights I've had about four and a half to five hours of sleep because I'm getting to bed at 12 or 1 and then waking up early uh, for my kids' softball games, for church, for other events I've had going on. And I, up until we sang that last song, was struggling to keep my eyes open. That's with a monster, a coffee, two bottles of water, and a quick jog around the building. Still could not keep my eyes open. Kid you not, I was like, Lord, I almost went back and got another coffee during worship, and then we sang that song, Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, I was awake. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord and he wakes you up. I got to do that more often. Okay, little tidbit, praise God, he'll wake you up. 
I want to read for you here. This is a true story. A missionary named Herbert Jackson, right, shows up to the land where God has called him. He is told that he, was given, he would be given a car. The car would not start without a push. Upon pondering the problem, he devised a plan. He went to a school that was near his home. He got permission to take the children out of class, this is awesome, and have them push his car to get it started. As he traveled around the area, he would park near a hill, or he would just leave the engine running. Other times, he would look for other small children to give him a push to get it started. This is genius, by the way. It says, he used this ingenious procedure for two years. Two years this guy did this. There must have been a lot of great linebackers coming out of that village after having to push his car. At the end of the two years, he was returning to the States because of health problems, so the new missionary came to replace him as he showed him the ropes and what, the, what everything was like and said, and of course, here is your vehicle. Here is what I have been doing. This is the arrangement I've set up to get the car started. Dr. Jackson, said the new missionary, I believe your only problem is there's a loose cable. As he looked under the hood, he gave the cable a twist, stepped in the car, turned the key, and the engine roared to life. What? <laughs> this entire time? Two years? Now, Herbert Jackson, why he would not have found a mechanic somewhere on the island and just gotten that looked at, but missionaries can often be single-minded focused. You see, the whole time, Herbert had the power that he needed. He just didn't know how to access it. What if I told you that the rest that God requires of us, that he calls us to, is the very key to the power that we want so badly? I want to forgive. I want to love. I want to not respond in anger to my spouse. I want to not respond in anger to my children, to life's events. How many people have said those things? I want this. I want this but we just don't know how to get it. And so we'll pray, we'll do devotionals, we'll try all these things. And Jesus says, my rest. There's a force that electrifies the Christian. And it is not more work, it is not more study, it is not more church, it is the rest of Jesus Christ. It's the rest that only he gives. And if we don't take time in the rest, if every time we go to rest we're working, right? How much in your devotional time do you spend talking, reading, and writing versus how much do you just spend listening? Most of us, it's about 75-25. 75% we're active. We spend the last few 25% minutes of our time with God. And we say, all right, God, do you have anything to say? Nope, nothing. Okay, good. I got to get to work. Rest, my friends. In Romans 5, 13, 15, 13, Paul prayed that the Christians there may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In a place where the Christians were being beaten down, where they were being ran out of their homes, uh, the churches were being broken up, Paul prayed that the power of God's Holy Spirit would give them hope. What many of us need right now is rest so we can have the hope, be reminded in our faith that what is going on right now is not the end of the world, no matter which way you look at it. It is not the beginning of happiness, no matter which way you look at it. It is, in fact, just another leader that God has put in place, and our job is to continue to do what we've always been asked to do, 
but we're not going to be able to do it if we don't rest. America historically is not a place of rest. We do not love and encourage rest. So if this is how God's power comes through his Holy Spirit, right? John says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you that is in the world, then why do we resist rest? Why do you resist it? What in you resists it? Do you know? Cultural upbringing, a little bit, right? You must do, you must be, you must move in order to get things done. So there's some of that there. Other cultures definitely rest better than we do. What else? There is a performance basis to be loved in this country. You feel it as a child in the classroom. The kids who get A's, the kids who answer the questions, the kids who are more talented in sports, they get more attention. They get adulation from the other children, from the other teachers. And so there's this instant mindset that says, the better I perform, the more I am loved. I want you to hear me on this because many of us in this room still serve God this way. The more I perform for him, the more I'll have his ear the more he'll love me. And I know, I know, I know his death on the cross is how I get to heaven, and he loves me already, but let's be honest, you love the kid who does better than the kid who is a total waste. I'm kidding, nobody loves their children that way. We all love them equally. (laughs) The kids here, right? There's this mindset, and you know that's not true. You know of your children as a parent, that you don't love one more than the other because of their achievements, and yet we all still believe it. We all buy into it. And the reason we struggle with rest is because we don't want to lose our position. We don't want to lose the love or the ground that we've taken, and resting is going to cause that. One of the things God has shown me so clearly in my life is that when I choose not to rest in him, when I choose not to take that day, for me it's a day, or when I choose not to take the morning and give it to him and spend time in the word, I end up spending hours on things that should take minutes. One of my most recent examples is I was so busy last spring trying to repair these broken engines that I got that I'd wake up early in the morning and work on them all day all the way into the night and get stuck on problems and just spin my head and drive to places all over to try to get parts and this is gonna fix it and this is gonna make it work. And then I'm sitting there at 11 o'clock midnight, my wife comes out, you should go to bed. And I'm, I'm just in tears, I'm just a blubbering mess covered in grease and I can't understand it. And she's like, why didn't you ask Mark? And I said, no, he'll make fun of me. And uh, he did and then I asked him anyway. But you know what happened, I went to bed this particular night, woke up the next morning, was getting ready to head out and said, I felt that voice, the voice of God say, would you just spend time with me this morning? And he's sarcastic with me, so he said, for heaven's sakes, would you just spend time with me this morning? And I actually fought it in my heart, like, I wasted so much time yesterday, I need to get back on that problem, it hasn't been fixed. And so I did. I sat down, I spent about 45 minutes with the Lord, a lot of time just being silent before him. And at the end of that 45 minutes, I kid you not, 
the exact answer of what I had been doing wrong came into my head. And I thought, huh. And I walk into my shop. I try essentially what we just talked about here, fixing a loose cable. I changed the way things were hooked up. Somehow I missed it from hours of looking at it, and instantly it fired up. So that 45 minutes that I gave to the Lord had a return of investment of whatever, an entire day that was lost trying to fix a problem when I didn't give my time to the Lord. It's the same principle that we have with tithe that God tries to show us. You will do more with 90, 80, 60% than you will with 100 when you give it to me, when I'm first in your life. And for those in here who have lived that out, you know that principle is 100% true. For those who haven't trusted the Lord enough to try it out yet, I encourage you, in your time and in your finances, give it to the Lord first. You see, when you give that to the Lord, you're able to find rest in him. In both the giving of your finances and of your time, you take something which is so heavy on your plate, right? What are the two resources we, we constantly are losing? Time and money. They're always going out. Sometimes money comes back in, but mostly just goes out. Time is always going out, never comes back in. And so what are the two things we hold on to so desperately? Time and money. God says, would you trust me with those two? If you trusted me with those two things in your life, you would find peace, you would find rest, you would find me. And this is what I want to close with this morning because this, there is no more important... I, I, I have struggled a lot with how to present this because this is my life this is everything, every time I get up here, this is what I want to show, what I want to teach, and I don't know how to say it, to be honest with you. But as the author here in Hebrews says, and go back up to it, those of us who have believed enter the rest just as God has said. Just as God has said. Jump down. Therefore, since it still remains for some of us to enter that rest, since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day saying, today, today is the day of my rest. You see, one of the things in the Christian community right now which is causing us Christians to struggle so much with being the hands and feet of Christ in the midst of a crazy culture is that we do not know Jesus as the rest giver. We know him as the savior from hell. We know him as the fixer of our moral problems, my addictions, my lust, whatever. This is, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Do this, Jesus. But how many of you know Jesus as your rest? Because when I see Jesus as my rest, when I allow him to be that, it stops all striving. It stops all uh, works-minded love that my, my mind, is, my flesh is looking for. It just stops it. You fall before the Lord in his grace and you stop working. 
I've told the story of, you know, the miscarriage we had and how I was a believer for nearly two decades before that happened, and it wasn't until the nine months when the Lord allowed me to feel life without his presence, it wasn't until nine months later that I got on my knees and for the first time in my life, in two decades of knowing God, following all the moral rules, going to church, volunteering, mission trips across to help people out, evangelizing, bringing people to the Lord, all of these wonderful things, I didn't enter his rest until that ninth month when I got on my knees and I said, Lord, it's all yours. (laughs) I'm done. I'm done holding back time, uh, money, my hope for children and a family, my hope for uh, a career and advancement. It's all yours. Everything is yours, Lord. That is when I truly entered the rest of God, the rest that Jesus promises. You see, Jesus fulfilled the law, right? We understand that. He is the new covenant. He fulfilled the old covenant, which was the law. He is the rest. He is the rest. When you find Jesus as not a religion, a God, a way out of hell, a way to fix your problems, when you find him as the rest that he promises, you will see your relationship with God change. You'll see all your relationships change, actually. You'll find that that grace you've been praying for, the patience you've been praying for, the, the love for those who hate you that you've been praying for, all of a sudden it begins to flow into your spirit. It's magic. It's not magic, it's the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden. So I want to challenge you, because, and so this is the part that's so hard, is how do I get you to see that? For me, it took a nine-month, incredibly painful experience to see that. And one of the things I think God is showing me is that for every single one of us, there's going to be some pain, some loss of something we love in order to enter Christ's rest. And the question is, are you prepared for that? Or has God already brought and allowed that pain in your life, and rather than letting it be the thing that drew you close to him, it's the thing that pulled you away. It's the thing that made you say, I want nothing to do with you, God. I don't think anybody gets to that point, and this is what's so difficult, and I've prayed a lot about this before I say these words. I don't think anybody gets to the point of resting in Jesus without first tremendous pain in their life. Because we are born into sin with spirits that are dead and a cancer that is filled in every vein, every muscle, every bone of our body. And in order to remove that, the surgeon, right? In the next verse, we'll talk about it next week at length, but it says, It is sharper. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Greek word there for sword is not the Braveheart giant sword that I've seen people bring on stage for this. It is a small, extremely razor-sharp dagger. Same thing for the armor of God, when you're talking about the armor of God. And the point is, it can come in and very precisely cut out a bullet, uh, not a bullet, (laughs) arrowhead or a wound 
It can cut the flesh precisely and remove the irritation. And anybody who's been through surgery knows that in order to go through surgery, you enter more pain to get rid of the thing that was causing you some pain, right? That's why us guys don't go to the doctor regularly because the thing that is currently causing me pain only causes me this much pain, and in order to fix it, it's going to cause me this much pain. So I'll just keep living with it until the pain matches, and then I'll fix it. You guys know what I mean. That's why we don't go in. And that's why we as Christians don't face this topic of rest. Because in order, when I rest before God, God's Spirit speaks to me and reminds me that I don't actually trust Him in 18 areas of my life. And that pain of having to trust Him in those is more than the pain I'm currently going through. So I'll just wait until there's a pain in my life so great that it matches. And then maybe I'll give myself fully to God. This is the sermon, this is the the separation between the the Christian by mouth and and the Christian who's living it up. And I don't say that as a judgment. I was 20 years, this is how I believed and how I walked. This is how I knew God. Be good, do good, read his word, study, and all of those things are good because all of those things got me to that point. So none of those things are bad, but hear me on this. If entering his rest is something that brings more doubt, shame, fear than it does peace, joy, hope, the fruit of the Spirit, I encourage you to pray and say, Lord, I may need something in my life. I may need you to cut out this area of my life that I can't give to you. I've tried to give it to you. Anybody have that? A pain that maybe you say, I've heard this said so many times, I laid it down at the cross, and then what do you say you do? I picked it back up again. You know the beauty of having surgery? Is I don't care. Once they cut that nastiness out of you, you don't get to put it back in again. It's gone. I I don't have an appendix here anymore. It's gone. I don't get to put it back in because I'm like, oh, I really want it back. When the Lord cuts it away, when you actually let him cut it away, it's gone. I encourage you in that. It's the only way we as a church in the coming season and years are going to become the head of culture and not the tell, is if we have men and women who are 100% sold out, who have let God remove the things in their life that they secretly hold back. But if I know us, there's many of us in here, where the pain hasn't matched the sin pain yet. And so we'll just let this message pass. But I encourage you to give it a thought. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to close here in uh, prayer and communion. Joshua 5, 13, 15, before Joshua conquered Jericho, he, he went out to survey the land. He met the Lord Jesus Christ out there, right? And he has a sword. And what does Joshua do? He falls to his knees. This Joshua is the commander. He is the highest level. Moses has transferred to him his, his blessing. He, is, he has transferred to him the anointing. And Joshua walks to this mountain, sees a man he's never seen before. 
and falls to his knees and says, I cannot stand because I am standing on holy ground. I stand on holy ground. You see, it was Joshua's submission to God in the privacy of that time on the mountain with Jesus that allowed him to have the public victory in Jericho. You do not get the victory. You do not get to have the thing in front of everybody else where they see you really just come through for Christ. If in your private time, if in the most secret, private parts of your heart, you have not submitted them to Christ, there will be no victory. There will be minor wins, but no victory. You'll keep picking it back up. You'll keep struggling. You'll keep doubting God. You'll keep asking why he isn't there. Why is he not speaking? Why are you not leading? Why are you not helping? Does any of this sound familiar? Do you love him with all your being? Do you depend on him for everything? Do you know him personally? Those three questions. Do you love him with all your being? Do you depend on him for everything? And do you know him personally? As we go to prayer, would those be the things that are going through your mind? Heavenly Father, you don't do the same thing twice ever. I don't know how you do that. So there's a hundred some odd people in this room and for each and every one of us, how you reach us, how you come in and cut out the sin in our lives is different. And so my prayer is Holy Spirit, move in a unique way on every human being in this room. Reveal in us the areas of our life that is not submitted to you, the areas of our life in which we do not rest in you. Lord, we thank you for the Sabbath rest of the cross. We thank you that there will come a time when we will leave this earth and our work here will be done just as Christ was done on the cross, just as the Father's was done on the seventh day. But until then, Lord, there is much to be done. The harvest is ready, and the workers are few. May we be like Isaiah. May we have laid down our life to you. May we have submitted to you in private that we can say the words, here am I, Lord, send me. As we prepare to partake in communion, I want you to imagine what it was like for the disciples to begin to see the light come on in their eyes. Not in the upper room, because we know the light wasn't on yet. But that first time after he had risen that they partook of communion together. I want you to think about that for a minute. As they grab the bread, as they grab the wine, and the disciples are partaking of communion together, and they now have seen Jesus beaten and hung on the cross. They have seen his bloody body taken down and put in the tomb. They have seen him risen again. You think it was a little different than the time in the upper room when Jesus took the bread and said this is my body 
This is the sacrifice. This is the lamb that was spoken of to come and take away the sin of the world. When we partake of this together, we declare Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we do not partake of this lightly, but with the understanding and remembrance of what it is and what it represents, your body. Help us, Lord, in this. Let this be a a spur to, to action, to know you, to rest in you. In Jesus' name. He took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of the lamb. The blood that covers the sin, that covers the penalty. When you gather together, do this as you remember me. So, Father, we remember the blood of Jesus Christ now. That there is nothing else that I am saved by. There is no more work that I can do to make it complete. It was finished there on the cross. My sin is defeated. It is gone. And it will be dead. All you say is, give it to me. Hand it over. I'll exchange it for a crown of glory, for a robe of righteousness upon you. My righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the blood that redeems my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We have prayer partners up front. I encourage you this morning, if God's Spirit is speaking to you, to not allow anything to stop you from coming up front and praying and spending time with some of these men or women and just having God spirit wash over you here in prayer this is a house of prayer and worship and i hope that we'll do both let's close in prayer and worship together